It's expected that China would want to do this, and it has been like over the past couple of years, it has really steadily been ratcheting up the pressure on Hong Kong and attempting to tighten its grip on Hong Kong. So this is kind of yeah a step that we could predict would happen. But the thing that wasn't predicted and that is really surprising is just how quickly all of this has been happening, that China has been moving so aggressively and with such impunity against Hong Kong. New Zealander Anna Fifield is the Beijing bureau chief for the Washington Post. But right now, she's writing about China from New Zealand. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on The Detail, I talk to Anna about China, its latest crackdown on Hong Kong, the international probe into coronavirus, and Taiwan, and New Zealand's very delicate part in the whole thing. So, yeah, over the past year, we've seen these protests erupt in Hong Kong against an extradition bill. And that, I think, really caught the Communist Party chiefs in Beijing by surprise, the ferocity of the feeling there. And just like the like it went on for six months, it took coronavirus to bring these uh, protests to a halt. Uh, And I think that that must have been a real catalyst for the Communist Party leaders in Beijing. And they realized they really needed to get a much stronger grip on Hong Kong, you know, and this whole one country, two systems uh, framework that has governed the relations between China and Hong Kong for the past 23 years. You know, that really is coming to an end now. I think Beijing very much wants that to come to an end. What exactly is this national security law that is going to be rubber stamped, presumably? Yes, they're right. It will be rubber stamped this week. We're expecting it to go through on Thursday at the meeting of this National People's Congress. And so basically, this is a law which will be passed by Beijing, uh, which will criminalize foreign interference in Hong Kong. So that means uh, like any secessionist activities and subversion of state power. They can label all sorts of things terrorism. And what it really means is that anything that China doesn't like uh, can be considered secessionist in this way. So calling for independence or full democracy in Hong Kong would fall into this category. You know, and if the US was to support these pro-democracy campaigners and things, and that would be deemed foreign interference. The protesters could be arrested for kind of acting on behalf of a foreign government. This is really... Beijing acting to fully control Hong Kong. You know, a little bit of history, you know, since 1997, when the British handed Hong Kong back to China under this framework called One Country, Two Systems. And Hong Kong had this kind of mini constitution called the Basic Law. And that was supposed to enable a degree of autonomy in Hong Kong. You know, it was that framework that allowed freedom of expression, free speech, free press, and really contributed to Hong Kong remaining and becoming even more of a global financial center. So this is really fundamental to Hong Kong's status as an international city and a place where foreign capital has gone to. So if these changes go through, Hong Kong will pretty much just become another part of China. And so that's really like a death knell for Hong Kong as we know it. And so the the protests this weekend, which were pretty massive, I mean, the biggest protests so far this year, according to reports, 
they were firing water cannon this weekend. I mean, would it be even more violent? Would the crackdown be even bigger than that from China? I think we will probably see more of the same. You know, there's kind of the tear gas, the water cannons, the mass arrests. Um, that's kind of been happening over the past year anyway with all of these protests. I think the question is really what happens next. Uh, so when we see in China when people are arrested for kind of political crimes, I guess you could call them, like criticizing the government, they pretty much just disappear. You know, there is no... Um, judicial process. There's no, you know, sense of any kind of trial or that you can put up a defense. So even during the coronavirus uh, of the past six months, when uh, very prominent people, prominent intellectuals and academics and even a, you know, a a real estate tycoon have criticized the Communist Party and their attempts to cover up the outbreak of the coronavirus and things. All these people have just simply disappeared. Nobody knows where they are. They haven't been charged with anything. They're just gone. So we can imagine that this would happen uh, a lot more in Hong Kong. And it has been happening a bit over the past few years anyway. There were a bunch of booksellers who mm. were selling books that were critical of Xi Jinping and the Communist Party leadership. And you know, some of them have just been kind of abducted and taken back to the mainland. So I think, yes, more and more of this, that there will there will be no answering uh, for this. Yeah, there'll be no judicial process. And it's interesting, the international reaction to this, the pro-democracy people in, in Hong Kong saying that the one country, two systems will be officially erased. This is the end of Hong Kong. It's a barbarian act. You know, the former Hong Kong governor, Christopher Patton, saying that it's a it's a betrayal by China. And I mean, Winston Peters put out a statement. Foreign Affairs Minister Winston Peters is concerned about China's plans to impose strict new security laws over Hong Kong. He's saying we have a strong interest in seeing confidence maintained in the one country, two systems. But really, none of this matters. I mean, China has already said, but out of our, this is a domestic matter. That's right. And we'll see more and more countries uh, criticising China to varying degrees. But you know, so what? China does these kinds of things with impunity. And, you know, they've proven time and time again that they will just not listen to or kind of uh, to foreign criticism or to temper their actions whatsoever. So we've seen this in the case of the incarceration or detention of more than a million Uyghur Muslims in Western China. There's been so much international condemnation of that. China continues regardless you know, also we look at its efforts to um, isolate Taiwan or like ostracize them from the international community. All of its efforts in Hong Kong last year, you know, it just sunk a, uh, a ship in a Vietnamese boat last week. You know, it does all of these things and the world is pretty much powerless to stop it for these economic reasons because it is so huge and has so much influence and can kind of just buy favor or buy silence from other countries around the world to be able to you know continue doing what it wants to do so that's what we've seen in the case of the WHO for example and that 
China has been able to get uh, to keep Taiwan well, to first of all get Taiwan out as an observer and to keep it out despite the fact that you know Taiwan has handled the coronavirus outbreak so well and China you know has not um, but yes they are so powerful because they are willing to use their economic clout to kind of club people into submission and in terms of these developments with Hong Kong does it all tie in together We've got the coronavirus thing here and and China is coming under so much scrutiny for how it all happened. We've got Taiwan and the the WHO and then this Hong Kong. Is it all related and connected with the big meeting that's going on at the moment? Uh, Yes, it is. I mean, this NPC, National People's Congress, it happens only once a year. It's always in March, but this year it had to be delayed two months because of the coronavirus. And so that's really the main vehicle for big policy changes. So it makes sense that a law like this, the national security law, would be rubber stamped at this time of the political calendar. But for sure, I think China is really trying to, you know, not let a good crisis go to waste. So while America is so focused on its own coronavirus outbreak, and of course, you know, Xi Jinping and the Chinese government is really making a big deal out of the mismanagement of the coronavirus response in the United States as a way to make its own actions look better. A coronavirus which has affected billions, infected millions and killed hundreds of thousands is claiming a new casualty, US-China relations. On the American side, there's growing fury about China's secretiveness. And my opinion is they made a mistake. They tried to cover it. They tried to put it out. It's like a fire. China is giving as good as it gets. We discovered a new virus. This cartoon lampooning the Americans was posted by the Xinhua News Agency in English. The virus is killing doctors. But I think they're really taking advantage of the sense of crisis in other parts of the world to go ahead and to do lots of things uh, that they might otherwise come under sustained criticism for. So we have seen some aggression towards Taiwan and some military ships going through the Taiwan Strait and some action in the South China Sea. We have now this, um, yeah, assault on the laws in Hong Kong. So this is kind of par for the course from China that it looks to do these aggressive actions when it hopes people will not be looking as closely as they might otherwise. But we are all looking, do you think? Or or is it a case of, you know, I mean, we're journalists, but is it a case of, the you know, the rest of the world is consumed by coronavirus, so it's not taking as much notice? I think it's not taking as much notice as it was. Yes, I mean, people are noticing, but not as much as usual, I think, because it is distracted. You know, what might be front page news in the United States at normal times, you know, is being bumped off because of the coronavirus at the moment. So I think they sense an opportunity um, here as well. I mean, just over the weekend, China's building a road or building roads into India on that border as well. So they're pushing out on all sides at the moment to really capitalise on on this time, I think. And Anna, for you, normally you're in Beijing, but you're stuck here in New Zealand because of coronavirus. What's it like to cover these kinds of events when you're based in Beijing or even if you're based in New Zealand? I mean, do you have to be careful? Yeah, I mean, of course, I wish I was in Beijing right now and I will be heading back as soon as the borders reopen there. 
but you know it doesn't really make that much of a difference to me because um, reporting in China is now so extremely difficult. Uh, you know, it's very normal when I go out on the street to be um, kind of accosted by police, plain clothes or uniformed, or to be obstructed, to be surveilled and followed and things. So it's really hard to have frank conversations with people and especially now even professors and people who have studied in the United States and things everybody is very afraid to be talking to American media in particular which I am classified as because I work for the Washington Post mm. um so yeah so it's become extremely difficult for us to do our jobs there I mean it would be certainly easier if I was there and was able to be out and about and at least get a sense of things but um so much of what we're having to do is reporting on the phone and looking at social media and things because it is kind of dangerous, not so much for us, but for the people we talk to uh, if we go out onto the streets and, and try to t talk to people. So, I mean, I very much do want to be back there, but I'm trying my best to do it from a distance. Yeah. And so how are you doing it now without giving too much away? I mean, is it yeah. a lot of phone activity and how dangerous is that for your sources? Yeah, and so it is a lot of phone uh, activity. You know, our bureau is still operating in Beijing. My American colleague was kicked out, so he's in Seoul. Uh, but we have Chinese staff in Beijing, so they're still working, and we're constantly, you know, Zooming and FaceTiming and, you know, slacking and doing all these things that everybody probably around the world is doing with the work from home anyway. Um, so we just try to do the best we can. But... You know, the whole joy of being a foreign correspondent and the whole reason for having foreign correspondents in the first place is to have somebody with their boots on the ground and out there talking to people and, and showing the colour and getting a sense of what it's like to be there. So I think that is what is lacking. Um, you know, and, and that's exactly what China wants. That's why it has kicked out all these American journalists, like also New York Times and Wall Street Journal, because they don't want independent reporters anymore. They don't want people like me, they don't want independent Chinese journalists to be able to go around the country and report things that don't gel with the official narrative and the propaganda. So, you know, it's very inconvenient for the Chinese Communist Party when they're talking about their great efforts to respond to the coronavirus and reporters go out and report the cover-ups and the attempts to silence doctors and things like that. So this is very much the trend inside of China too. So you must be a bit more in touch with how New Zealand is responding at the moment as well. You know, it is so delicate for New Zealand, isn't it? Any kind of criticism of China or even saying that it's joined in this international call for an independent investigation. The Prime Minister was so careful about how she talked about it last Monday when she was asked about it on RNZ. Is New Zealand supporting the 62 countries or one of the 62 countries that is pushing for an independent probe into the coronavirus outbreak and its origins? Yeah, so our, our focus has been just what we can learn uh, as a as a international community, Corin. So, but are we uh, actually part of that? Because the Australian newspaper is reporting this morning, and others have as well, that we were part of a group of 62 that are pushing for a some form of in, independent inquiry. We haven't. We haven't. Uh, what I would describe as our view is that there's something that I believe that every country and every probably person in the world would want to look back on. What we've been very careful to do is we certainly haven't been um, uh, taking a view that there is any blame to be apportioned. But it is important, Prime Minister, that we know as a country whether our name is part of those 62 because 
th- th- it may be that China, for whatever reason, feels that that's unfair. So we need to know, in terms of the diplomacy, whether we are part of it. Are we? Yeah. Again, but the fact just, that we just have want... foreign, what I'm trying to also portray is that there is some nuance in there that's important. Mm. We're not interested in this for blame. We're interested in it for learning, and I think everyone should be. No, no, I completely understand this is a, a very delicate issue. We understand that with the with this trade implications in Australia. I'm just trying to establish whether we are part of the 62. Yes, yes, we are, but again... Well, I mean, I really appreciate the fact, yeah, New Zealand is so small and so dependent on China that we have to be very careful, of course. And when you look at the um, Chinese angry reaction against Canada when they uh, arrested the Huawei executive there and then more recently against Australia uh, when they first of all called for this investigation, yeah, like China can and does inflict a lot of pain on countries. But I also think that we, you know, as a liberal democracy that believes in human rights and all these things, we need to be able to stand up for our principles. Uh, And we can do, you know, we're smart enough, I think, to do this in a careful way so that we don't alienate China. So I think, yes, being careful, raising our objections to these things and doing it as part of an international coalition makes lots of sense for New Zealand. I certainly don't think we should be um, groveling to China or being silent for a fear of antagonizing China at all. Because, you know, New Zealand-China relations don't happen in a vacuum. You know, China is having these same conversations with so many countries around the world. So we don't need to kind of lump ourselves in with America. We can be much more diplomatic than that and things. But, you know, when you look at how Europe has handled this, you know, some countries in Europe or the European Union, you know, there is a kind of middle ground between being completely aggressive out there and pushing China and, yeah, just saying nothing at all. Right. Well, how damaging is it for Winston Peters to talk about China's ambassador saying that she should heed her master? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I couldn't even figure out what he was actually meaning by that. It took me a while to think, you know, he's trying to say that she is being much more aggressive than the foreign minister. I think that's the message he was trying to say, which, A, I think is not true, but also, like, he definitely could have done this in a much more diplomatic and skillful way. Now, of course, it's no surprise that Winston Peters is doing this. He's made no secret in the past that he would prefer us to align with the states over China. And that's what this is, right? By doing this, he is falling into line with the states and with Australia. I think the the baseline point is correct that, you know, there is no reason why Taiwan should not be an observer in the World Health Organization. They were an observer until 2016 when China got them kicked out. But if we look at it now, you know, Taiwan is this country of 23 million people that has so many links with China and so many people going back and forth, but they've had only seven deaths from coronavirus. They have handled this whole outbreak incredibly well. So so, you know, and they've done it without having access to any of the WHO's information, you know, which, of course, is China's information about the virus in those initial weeks and months. 
So I think, you know, the world has a lot to learn. New Zealand could have learned a lot from Taiwan if they had been an observer or been able to participate in these meetings. So I definitely think we should be standing up, yes, for Taiwan's right to play a part in this you know, multilateral body. And by doing that, we're not recognizing Taiwan as an independent country in its own right. You know, there are lots of multilateral and other organizations that have observer status at the WHO. So we can finesse it, I think, and do it in such a way. Of course, China's not going to be happy with it, but um, but it's the right thing to do. And we should be able to stand up and be secure in ourselves to stand up and do the right thing. I mean, really, does China take that much notice of New Zealand? I mean, we're pretty insignificant in the world, aren't we? I mean, especially when you've got, you know, the President of the United States just day after day after day having a go at China about one thing and another. Well, I don't think we're insignificant. I mean, nobody's too insignificant. Like when you look at the way that uh, China has picked off all of uh, Taiwan's diplomatic allies, and you know, going after Kiribati and things like this, like no country is too small for China to try to win over there. Um, but I think New Zealand is especially important to China because we are part of the Five Eyes. So if they can drive a wedge between us and the other Five Eyes countries, and particularly the United States, I think they really look for opportunities to do that. So, um, yeah, so it is important, but it shouldn't stop us from standing up for our values and our, our beliefs, I think. Anna came to New Zealand for two weeks in March and she's itching to get back to Beijing where life is pretty much back to normal people are out and about and going to restaurants and movie theatres and things like that. So uh, there are still some restrictions if you leave Beijing uh, because Beijing is the sensitive capital and there are these meetings going on this week. Um, but yeah, pretty much life is back to normal. And, you know, look at the, in terms of Wuhan and where that is, China just today has said that they've tested 9 million of the 11 million residents of Wuhan. Uh, so they are really kind of pulling out all the stops to try to make sure that this virus is not circulating inside of China anymore. And Anna, do you think when you do get back there, that it'll be even harder for you to move around given you know, given the mood I guess that the government is in at the moment? Yes, I, I do. I mean, they are keeping a really close eye on us. They're very sensitive of things. But also um, just the effect of whittling down our bureau means that I'm the only person, only reporter in China for the Washington Post. So there is like only so much I can humanly do uh, there. So just by default, you know, they've cut our bureau by two thirds and just made my output, you know, our bureau's output that much smaller. So that's good for them. They can rely on on their tweets and all these other things and not have pesky journalists like us, you know, telling so much of the truth anymore. <laughs> Do you get told off often? Yeah, I get called in. The, the phrase is to drink tea. You get invited into the foreign ministry, you drink, drink tea with them, and usually after an hour of chit-chat, they tell you what they're unhappy about. Um, but, you know, that's pretty normal and... I go and drink the tea and then carry on with my job. You know, we've got a job to do. Yeah, anything they think of, anything about China having a tantrum, or it's usually these loaded words that they don't they don't like, understandably. Um, so, yeah, but I am the conduit for that lucky me. 
That's the detail today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get the detail downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, give us a rating so others can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Anna Fifield, who doesn't even know if China will let her back, even after restrictions are lifted. Things between the United States and China are getting worse by the day, it seems. And there is this tit-for-tat war going on involving journalists and visas. So um, fingers crossed I will get back in, uh, but nothing is certain with China. 